You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 128. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And check us out at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, I am Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zacht. And I'm Mike Outlaw. You're Zacht? <laughs> I feel pretty Zacht right now, honestly. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform that unifies metrics, traces, and logs so you can identify and resolve performance issues quickly. And about you, one of the fastest growing e-commerce companies headquartered in Hamburg, Germany, that is growing fast and looking for motivated team members like you. And the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education, one of the top 50 nationally ranked universities, UCI offers over 80 certificates and specialized programs designed for working professionals. All right. And today we're going to be talking about SS Tables. LSM trees and uh, basically just continuing on where uh, wherever we stopped in uh, chapter three and these are some uh, data structures and uh, some methodologies for uh, for basically storing data that are really common in certain databases that we're going to be talking about in a minute here. It's basically the greatest chapter of any book ever written. <laughs> I think it's what we have surmised so far. Yeah, there is a bunch of meat and potatoes in this, or a bunch of meat in this meat and potatoes yeah. book here. So there you go. I'll, so as we like to do, we want to give thanks to those who have taken the time to go up to either iTunes or Stitcher or any of one of your other places where you could do so and leave us a review. So I've got iTunes today. And so thank you to Dev Extremis, Caffeinated Gamer, Matt Hussey, and Index Out of Range. <laughs> and from Stitcher, we have Marcos Sagrado, more like Coding Rocks, am I right? And... <laughs> Asparagus 69. <laughs> that was well done, Ella. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm not saying I might have practiced for like, you know, a couple nights. <laughs> All right. And don't forget, we're doing a book giveaway. So go ahead and drop that comment on this episode. You can find a link in your show notes or uh, just go to www.codingblocks.net uh, slash episode 128. Yeah. And you get a uh, letter from my attorney. That's trademarked. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, you don't right. need to cease and desist, sir. That's right. Now, we do have a little bit of sad news, though. Orlando Code Camp has been canceled. So uh, uh, my shins will be fine, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it's still a big bummer. It is a bummer. Like, yeah, I think really we all get psyched, psyched for this thing. And I mean, uh, apparently this coronavirus thing has uh, taken hold of everything at this point. NBA, yeah. NFL, NHL, MLB. Disneyland. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I hope I'm you're still, all. Uh, I was so looking forward to it. Yeah. It was Not really the coronavirus, powerful. but I was so looking forward to Orlando. <laughs> Coke. That came out wrong. In hindsight, I realized that now. I probably should have clarified that before. I was looking forward to Orlando Code Camp. <laughs> well, we hope you're all healthy and, and doing good and uh, still finding time to listen to podcasts without that commute. So shout out to all the new remote workers. Just wanted to get that out there. So uh, if you're for, uh, just now giving it a shout, uh, giving it a shot, I uh, hope you enjoy it as much as we do.
Yeah. Hey, 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 so check this out before, but this is sort of like a pre tip of the week type thing. <laughs> so I just got an email today from TechSmith, which makes a bunch of tools I love. Snagit's one of them. Uh, they have, they have a whole suite of tools. Well, they are actually trying to help out companies that are having to go to this remote thing. And so they're giving away free copies of Snagit, free copies of a few other of their software suite through like June. 22nd or something, maybe June 30th. I don't remember the exact dates, but I'm sure that maybe if I find a link, I'll put it in here. Or if it's in the email, we'll get it in the show notes here. But if that's something that might help you out while you're going through this sort of difficult time with this whole coronavirus thing, um, check that out because they do offer great tools and it might be something that helps ease your, your time doing this thing. Wait, you can get Snagit for free now? For a few months, yeah. Um, oh, oh, uh, you can get it, okay, from now until June 30th. Correct. Right? Okay. Correct. I mean, yep. that's still pretty awesome. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that they may end up getting some subscribers and purchases out of it afterwards because after you use the tools, it's kind of hard not to go back. But it's really cool that even if you only get use out of it for two or three months, that they're even offering that. So, yeah, definitely, definitely go check that out. And I'm not finding anything when I Google it. So I'll go back to my email and grab those links out of there and, and well, put it in the show notes. Let me let me share this link with you and you tell me if this is the one you're thinking of. So right. I just threw that out there in our little show notes. Oops. Yes. I yes. Lost my that's place. it. Totally. Ha. Yep. My Google foo is strong. Yep. Beautiful. So yeah, man, like seriously, I use Snagit daily and absolutely love it because you can take screenies, which there's tons of tools for that, but they're, Wait, they're well, tools. Time out. Is that what we're calling it now? Screenies? What, what, what do we call them? Screenshots? I mean, Screen grabs. you're making me sound like the old man for saying so, but yeah, that's what I would have said. I would have, <laughs> I've never heard anyone. <laughs> Seriously, say screenies. Well, we can't all be cool like me. Well, yeah. I mean, there's that problem too. Yeah. (laughs) But no, so you could do it to take screenshots and mark them up and all that, which is cool. Like, there's lots of things, but you can also do videos and do the same, like clip them out, crop them, do that kind of stuff. So, seriously, um, if this might help you, and any kind of free resource might be good for this time. So, all right. Well, let's get into. Chapter three, let's talk about string sorted tables or no sorted string tables. Ah, Uh, SS table, sorted string table, sorted string, sorted string table. Yeah, it's right there. First line in the show notes. No biggies. though. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying that I was reading ahead. Why you got to be like that? (laughs) Why you got to call me out? Called him out. Yeah, I'm sorry. You You know, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, public. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> hey so in fairness uh raise your hand if you knew what ss table stood for before that reading out for sign uh, raise your hand if you'd ever heard of an ss table before reading this chapter had you no so i have seen when i saw the, this book i recognized the name and i went and looked and i'd seen f- some files and folders named after i forget if it was files or folders uh in a kafka streams app literally named ss table hmm interesting yeah, I, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, but the originator of that is sort of somebody that we've probably heard about, but I don't want to do it now. I don't no, okay, it. suspense. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, 
So, yeah, let's go back to the previous episode, though, because we're kind of picking up where that left off, right? So, so in the last episode, we were talking about how a database sort of works, right? Like with this append-only log and all this kind of stuff, and it's sort of the, the backbone of how the whole thing works, right? So if you have not listened to the previous episode or you have not read this chapter, you will probably be lost with some of the concepts that we're about to go over. So just for, you know, fair warning here. Um, yeah, we specifically so, left off with hash indexes yes. last time. So the SS table or the string sorted table or the sorted string table, and now I jacked it up and I've even read the thing. You're welcome. <laughs> My job here yes. is done. Yes. So it's basically the same notion that we were talking about with the hash table, except now when you insert these things into the log, or, or actually it's not the same thing as the hash table. When you insert into the log, you are trying to do this by sorting the key as you're putting it in. Right. And so here's the thing about that is if you're doing the append only mode, like the last one was as, as these records come in, let's just say records are flying in at you. Right. And we got Joe Allen and Michael here, at least in the video order that I'm looking at. If Joe comes in first, you can't write it to the log first because then it'll be out of order. Right. And so if Alan comes in right after that, well then, okay, well then that should probably go before that. And if Michael comes in next, well then he should probably be at the end. Cause it should be AJM. Right. Well, the way that you do that is you sort of have to keep these things staged somewhere first before you write it to the log. Otherwise, you're going to write it in the wrong order. And remember, the, the purpose of this thing is to write them into that append-only log in the correct order. And I should say, too, that um, everything we talked about uh, last episode still applies. So things like having segments that roll over so we don't have these big, one, you know, gigantic files. All that stuff still applies, and it complicates things a little bit in, in ways that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Uh, but that just is just in the segment that you're writing to, you need to make sure that you're writing in order. And you would think that, like, this would be my favorite of all because, you know, it's alphabetized. So, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back to the whole newspaper. We'll cover the newspaper table later. Right now it's the <laughs> sorted string table. <laughs> awesome. So back a couple of years. Oh, man. Hey, yeah. man, if you can't laugh at yourself, what are you, you going to do, man? I can't believe I got the reference. I'll put it that way. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you were there, so. I, I was there. <laughs> so, so we mentioned the the downsides. Basically, we've we got to do more work on inserting. And remember, we said when we inserted to the log append only, uh, that we were always writing to the end of the file. And that's like the most efficient operation you could do for a bunch of different reasons and a bunch of different scenarios. Uh, and so we're saying, uh, no, let's back away from that. Let's take a step back and let's insert this thing in order, which means that potentially if we insert it like at the top of that list, we've got to bump all that data down. And that was something we were trying to avoid previously. But if we do this, uh, we, we make that trade off on ingestion time there. And, uh, we get a couple things out of it. Uh, three things out of it specifically. Yeah. So what do we got for number one here? Merging segments is much faster. (laughs) Sorry. I just got so excited and much simpler. 
So remember before when we would merge two segments, we would have to go through and we'd have to look for duplicates basically because sometimes we can get uh, logs that come in and we'd have to compact those. That was the word we used for it in order to uh, basically get rid of redundancies and keep the latest copy of a record. But now in this case, uh, what we can do is just go through each list uh, and it's mainly similar to like you do it on merge sort. You basically go through lists, you keep a pointer to the top of both files and you just throw whatever one comes next uh, into the new segment which makes it much faster and it keeps things sorted, which is really nice. Yep. And one of the things that they point out here too, is if you have the same key in multiple segments, basically the newer segment file, the value of that thing wins, right? Because remember this, the whole point of this is you're not keeping a transaction log. You're trying to keep the state at least in, in what this one is, right? So if uh, the same key, Joe, comes in twice, whatever the newest one is, wins. Yep, so slower on initial write, but faster to to merge up those segments. And then define the keys, you no longer have to keep these uh, separate indexes in memory. Basically, we can do like uh, something kind of smarter where we basically can look at... Uh, Am I jumping ahead here? No. So uh, if we want to look at the current segment, then it's really easy. It's basically a, a, a by a sparse in- index is what they called it. It's like the, it's like the start of each segment, right? They they keep reference to the start of each segment, right? Yeah. So you can know if if your item is involved in the segment or not. Basically, it's like is this key you know, potentially in this file? Yes, no, and it's, that's um, something really fast because you only have to kind of check the ranges there, which is really nice. Which saves on memory too. Yeah, so if we back up to the previous episode, we were talking about basically all the keys would be stored in a memory hash, right? So Alan, Michael, Joe, Zach, all of us would be in that one memory hash. Well, the problem with that is if that data set grows massive, think like, you know, back in the day when you had the the yellow pages or something, right? Like that could get massive. Does that even exist anymore? The yellow Um, pages? There's like 20 of them left now. now. (laughs) Right, yeah, exactly. So... So the problem with that is it just gets too big, right? And as it grows and grows, if it goes out of a city and gets into multiple cities or whatever, it just keeps getting bigger, right? And you run out of memory and you have those constraints. With this method, you don't have that. You basically, if you think about it like the the pages in an index, I mean, heck, let's let's compare the segment to a page in an index of a book, right? You would be able to look at the very first entry on that page and know that, hey, this page starts with AL, right? You go to the next page and it starts with JO. So now you know that everything between AL and JO is going to fall on that first page somewhere, right? So it's very similar to how you would have looked through the index of a book. That's exactly what's happening here. And you've reduced the amount of memory that's required because now you're only storing a reference to that, that, that spot in on the file where that particular name was. And then everything in between, you're not indexing that. You're only indexing the next beginning of the next file. Maybe. And uh, just to, okay. So just to sum it up real quick, wanted to say, so, uh, you know, comparing to what we talked about last, uh, last chapter with the pen only logging, we've gone away from writing to the end of the file. So we're a little bit slower, but what we gained from that was the ability to keep things sorted, which made searching much faster and compacting much faster. But but here's yeah. one key thing, though, that I think we might have missed. I don't know if we misled earlier. It's not that we're writing to different spots in the file. We're still only append only to the file. 
And we'll get into in a minute how that's possible because it's, it's not like if, if our records came out of order, Joe came in first, I came in second and outlaw came in third. It wasn't that it wrote Joe and then it's, and then it saw me come in and it was like, okay, hold on, let's back up and write Alan before the Joe line. That's not what's happening. Right. And we'll get into how this works here in a minute. Did I get that wrong? I'm so sorry. I totally got that wrong. Well, uh, yeah, because I'm honestly trying to remember it because I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to remember like what was the value of the sorted string table compared to the hash index? Because in both you had a, in memory, you just had a small index that was the key to a byte offset where, you know, where that thing was in memory. So right. yeah, in the hash, the problem is if the hash got, if you had too many keys, then it could eat up all your memory, right? So if you had a million keys sitting there and you didn't have enough memory, that hash index was storing every key and every offset, right? With the sparse index, instead of that, it's saving a key that's at the beginning of a segment and it's offset. And then the next segment, which is going to be a group of records, it's storing that one. So instead of having a million oh, keys oh, in that okay. same example, you might only have a thousand. Let, let's 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 put this okay. Let's put this into more more tangible terms. Then let's say if you had a hundred. I remember now. If you had a hundred keys total, and they were each in 10, 10, 10 keys per segment, then you only right. had to do ten in have ten index in, entries in your index because. Uh, once you knew one, you could tell, okay, well, it's, if it's in between alphabetically, if it's in between these two, then all I gotta do is go to this one. And I know it's somewhere in that range and it's a small list of things that I'm going to be going through. Exactly. Now, and that brings us to number three right here is, so the, the three parts of this was the, the important part is this is still really fast because you can get to the beginning of that segment and because you're only scanning over a small chunk of data within that segment, your, your scans are still super quick, right? It's not as fast as the O of one operation that the in memory index gives you, but it's not much worse. So that's, that's really the key there. I guess worst guess. case scenario, it would be O of N where N is your segment size. Right. If M was your segment size, yeah. yeah, it could be that way, but it's probably closer to like O login or something like that because you're, you're getting like in the example you gave where you have a hundred index or a hundred keys in your index. When you do your sparse index, you just reduce the memory footprint by a factor of 10, mm -hmm. right? But the speed to be able to go through that index, you were able to go to the beginning of that segment and then scan through it pretty quick. So so like we're still said, getting there fast. Like uh, we we've quoted uh, Jeff Atwood's saying. Uh, I believe it was Jeff Atwood who said that uh, everything is fast for small n. Right. So right. Yep. So, so just to, to make sure I got it because uh, I'm totally misread this stuff. So basically, we're talking about when we do the merging of those segments. That's when we do the sorting in order to kind of keep those ranges in no. this SS table. No. no so no. when does that happen? That happens. That also happens then, but we're now going to talk about how it gets put in there in order. Okay, let's so do that. We still so haven't we said. We still haven't said who came up with this strategy, though. No, no, we're going to get there. It's it's later, I believe. Oh, uh, uh, fine. Yeah, fine. I believe it's later. Yes, it's fine now. So it's fine. We'll get to it. Yes. 
Got All right. So rush. here's the key, right? Like, and so this is why Joe was tripping up just a second ago is, all right, well, if, if we're getting these records out of order, how are we putting them in order into the file doing this append only thing? Because remember the key here is trying to create a database. This, this transaction log has to be fast, right? Like when you write to this thing, it has to be just as fast as possible. So you're still doing append only. So the way that you do this thing is, as you get the data, you're going to get them out of order, and you and you have to know that is you're actually going to write them to disk, not in your transaction log, but you're going to write them to disk in a sorted structure. So sort of on the side, right? Like you're going to have this staging area where you have incoming records, and you're going to add these in a way that you can then take them and write them to your append-only log. Right, right. Okay. So one option for doing that is a sorted structure like a B tree. So like a that's one option. Another red black trees, AVLs. These are basically trees that are meant to stay balanced. So maintaining uh, basically a minimum number of hops to get to the data that you're looking for. And we keep that in memory as a you know as, as basically a, a strategy for keeping things fast. Yep, and, and I said to disk a second ago, and we'll get to that in a minute. But yes, in memory. Did either of you guys look up these red black trees or these AVL trees? No. Okay. So I did. We talked about it before though. Okay. So here's the thing that drove me absolutely crazy. Like I as I do and as we all do, there was a Wikipedia page that came up and I started reading that and it was in some sort of Martian or or um uh, I don't know, Jupiter type speak. I, none of it made any sense to me. Like I couldn't map it out mentally in my head for anything. So what I did is I went on a, a scavenger hunt and I found a YouTube video where this dude explains it so well, like it is, it is golden. So we'll have a link in the show notes here. I highly recommend checking it out because I'm not even going to try and describe exactly what it does because it will completely come off like crap <laughs> in this show. Like can't describe it. Well, I'll also, um, cause we have talked about trees before in episode 97 and we talked about B trees, AVL, red, black trees. There's a, we, we said there's 115 different types of trees and it's insane it, during that episode though. Um, maybe you guys remember this and I'm going to include a link right here for you so you can see it. And I'll include this in the show notes as well. But, uh, there was a, I think a professor from like university of Cal, one of the, one of the California universities, I forget exactly which one it was, but he had a, a visualization where you could go and you could see like how the, how the tree worked. Do you remember that? Yeah. And so I actually landed on this site too, while I was doing it. The problem is especially with this red black tree is it does weird things where it kind of rotates portions of the tree. And I didn't see that happen on these animations, which was driving me crazy because, because basically with this red black tree, without going into crazy amounts of detail, and I'm not even going to get the detail right that I'm going to tell you, but if you inserted a record, like let's say that you're doing one through 10 and and five comes in first, then eight, then three, whatever. As data comes in, it's basically looking at the colors of the tree and the positions of them. 
And if a particular rule is met, like if two reds are in line or two blacks are in line or something like that, then it's going to say, oh, okay, well, this isn't correct. So we're actually going to disconnect these things, rotate some of these nodes over, and then connect them over here. It is mind-numbing to try and read that and visualize it. Yeah. But this YouTube video that I've got there, the dude actually does it and he shows, okay, this is what happens when you add this value in here. We're going to break these nodes here because this is rule number five, right? And in rule number five, the uncle and this and this all have to connect. So the cool part is this. What they've done with this thing is they've basically made it to where you constantly have a sorted structure by basically going from the bottom left node up to its parent, then going down the bottom right node. And if it has any children, then you're going to go down those. But essentially, you're just crawling the tree from the bottom left until you get all the way back up and around and go down the right side of it and do the same thing. And it's really cool. And it seems magical. And this is why trees are so cool in the first place. But this is how you get fast sorting when you're writing by using trees. Except you're describing it as if you're like starting from one of those end nodes, right? But you don't, right? You start from the the tip of the tree and then you not like when you, work not when your you're way sorting. down, right? Oh, no, when you're not when you're sorting. Sorting. Sorry. When you When you start, your first value is actually I was thinking about like root node. from an insert point of yes. view. Yes. It, yes, you're always going to start your root node. How that stuff works is is in the details. But when it's all done, your your smallest value is on the bottom far left of your tree. Okay, and, sorry, and I then, missed that And then part. you end up crawling over the, the node structure to get to the rest of it. Yeah. So at any rate, yeah, again, I say all that because, again, the details, you would just get lost in them. I couldn't even read it and understand it. Um, but if you watch this, it'll at least paint in your head. Oh, that's really cool how these guys are sorting things on the fly without having to do what Joe was mentioning earlier, which is, oh, okay, well, I know that the last record I wrote was, was Joe. And then the one before that was Mike. So I'm going to have to bump it up two spots. Like that's highly inefficient. But this other way is it's in memory and you're just basically reconnecting some of the tree node dots. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. So you can like throw this stuff in there as fast as possible and then retrieve it in a sorted way. And you can do really fast searches on it too. Yep. And there was a big difference that they mentioned between red, black and AVL. And I, and I can't remember the details now. That's pretty terrible. Seeing as how we're recording right now, but, um, uh, one of them was way more efficient. If you're just doing a bunch of writes, and the other one was more efficient if you had more updates and that kind of thing. So, and I can't remember, it seems like the AVL was more efficient if you had updates, but yeah, I may be wrong there. Hey, I got that uh, red, black are faster inserts and removal than AVL trees, but uh, uh, because of they basically do uh, fewer rotations when things are being balanced. Okay. And so they're red, black are more common. Okay, and cool. So I, I didn't completely screw that up. And we previously said that red black trees were optimized for batch inserts. Okay. Okay, and AVL trees are typically used in databases where faster retrievals are required. Uh, so we're willing to do that extra work in order to get a little bit faster retrieval. Yep. So let's go back to this thing that we were talking about, right? So when, when Joe was talking about, hey, we're writing to the log, actually, we're not doing that. As data comes in, we're writing that data to a memory table. In this case, it's called a mem table. Um, 
in this tree structure. And then that way, when, when we've gotten to a point where we want to dump this tree structure and now append it to the log file, we have that stuff in order. Yeah, and once you've reached some sort of like predefined size threshold, then you can dump that data from memory uh, to disk into a new SS table. So this is basically a fast ingestion mechanism, and then we dump it out to that SS uh, table as necessary. So it's like a, just a way of really optimizing that um, fast time in order to keep things sorted without doing all that crazy work. So do you think they're – I mean, are, hmm. I wonder, do you think they're doing anything more than just serializing that that tree out to individual files or no, I would imagine that's basically what it is, right? Just what you said. I bet that they're basically just crawling that thing and writing it out to disk as fast as possible, because that's the next thing that they bring up is, Hey, while this is being written to the new SS table file, that doesn't stop operations, right? You still have more records coming in. Those new records are being written to a new mem table, and so while the other mem table is being dumped out to that file, which you would imagine to your, to your question and your point outlaws, I think they're probably just trying to get it out there as quick as possible. Be my guess. Oh, uh, right. That like the SS table, uh, format, right? Yeah. So, uh, while that is being written, then, uh, we can keep writing to, uh, the new mem table and then, uh, we can kind of keep cycling like that. And then when we're serving up the read request, then um, anytime you do a sort of like a search on it, then the trick is that you search in the mem table first, and then you go back to the most recent segment, and then uh, moving backwards. And that's, of course, assuming that uh, your data is more likely to be, um, the data you're searching for is uh, more likely to be recent, uh, which I think is probably, they probably made that decision. Like, they didn't have to do it that way, but I assume that maybe someone smart <laughs> decided to well, do it that way, and it worked out. I mean, it's all sorted, right? So I guess the the whole idea is if a search comes in, it's going to look through your mem table first because that's the most recent data you have. But then I guess going back through the segments, the whole idea is all those segments should be sorted as well. Yep. So it's just trying to find whatever, you know, basically probably looking at the first entry of each file and saying, hey, is this the file I need to scan? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, run pattern there because, like, you know, your first search is going to be basically log of n, where n is the size of the mem table. And then your next search is going to be log of n, where n is the size of that, that, uh, SS table. And then back in, you know, all the way back into the, the oldest one. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know what the, the runtime was. Some, some number of times log of n is what it's going to end up being, which is, uh, which is interesting. So it's not fantastic for searches, but it's really fast at writing. So it's like, uh, this is an interesting compromise where, uh, you want to write things really quickly, but you also want to be able to research, uh, search them in, uh, you know, pretty, pretty decent time. I guess, I don't know, were we going to talk, maybe it wasn't on tonight's episode? Cause, cause now it's coming, cause some of this come back to me where it was like, it would actually write to a thing called a write ahead log. It, it, like that was its way of, um, yeah, that's not this one. I think you're getting into the B trees. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But it does kind of act like that because, you know, essentially we're, we're basically writing to this kind of in memory mem table first, this tree, and then it gets dumped to disk. Well, so it, you know, the problem is if we, you know, run into a crash or something, we'll get, we got a note up here on what happened or how we deal with crashes in this case, but it's basically the same kind of situation where we need to keep track of that mem table, uh, and, you know, basically flush that to disk and yeah. keep that kind of 
log there. And, and that was the point of the write ahead log, right? Like, you know, let's not, don't, don't necessarily like write to disk first so that you have it. So if you had to, re- if you had to recover from a crash, you can once it's written to disk then, or maybe even in parallel to it, you could try to like, you know, get it into the tree in the correct place. But, you know, priority one is persistent. So we'll get into that here in just a second too, at least on these. Um, so one other thing to keep in mind, right? So we talked about as data comes in, it's going into this mem table. As this mem table reaches some threshold that we say when we write this, that happens. But also there's probably going to be some background processes that go through your segment files and merge those things as time goes on, right? Because the whole point is to dedupe, um, get the latest values and, and keep compressing these things as time goes on. So that's what happens. Um, so then the downside that this gets into what Mike was just saying a second ago, if the database crashes in the middle of your memory table being written to, you're going to lose all that data, right? Anything that's in memory just dies. Um, so one of the ways that they talk about avoiding this thing is, um, you can sort of do three things at once, right? So you're writing to this memory thing. And in this data structure, but you can also at the same time write to an unsorted append only log file, just like we talked about in the previous episodes as sort of a staging area. So that if for some reason the database crashes, you can rebuild that memory table from that temporary append only log, get that thing sorted and then get back to a good state. And that should happen pretty quick because the whole idea is your mem table should never be massive. Yeah, and so we're kind of combining um, the data structures. We're definitely getting more complicated now, so we're bringing more systems in. Uh, but we're basically using each kind of uh, data structure for what it's best at. And uh, we're, we're basically doing this by kind of splitting out our data and you know into multiple spots and just making uh, making do and making the best that we can. It's I wonder, pretty freaking awesome. I wonder if um, – I think you, you mentioned Kafka earlier with with the sorted string tables – uh, where you like actually saw a file or a folder named that. And now it's kind of like, you know, it's like things are starting to click, right? You know, you, as, as you go through this book and everything, you start thinking about it, you're like, Hey, maybe that's why keys were such a big deal to Kafka. Because like, even if you didn't have a key, it's like, Oh, you know, fine. If you don't define one, we'll figure it out, you know, because maybe it matters into the way they, they do the partitioning. Like, you know, if, if they're keeping this like tree, if all of those partitions are like a tree in memory or like that's how it knows which, which partition to access. And it's like, okay, now I kind of see why you wanted to know, might want to know what that key was. So I, it's, I just so happen to have uh, a temp directory from Kafka streams. I should, I definitely want to emphasize it's Kafka streams is a library that we, uh, we right. use with Kafka frequently. I'm looking at uh, a specifically inside a state store folder, which is how they persist data that you can then do sort of stuff with in, in the streaming environment. It's got SST extension files, which are sorted string tables. Uh, it's binary. I, like I can't read it because presumably it's compressed, right? Which you mentioned. And uh, it also has uh, logs right in there, which uh, I'm guessing are <laughs> the files that it writes to just in case it crashes and it needs to resume. Hmm. It's got some other cool stuff in there, like uh, manifest files, a couple other things. So the That's thinking cool. might be that... <clears throat> Kafka is writing to that log file first, then dealing with trying to figure out how to get it into the correct string sorted table 
file. Yep. And then if it crashes and restores, it's got a little bit of extra work to do in order to kind of parse things and get into the appropriate spot. But it's essentially answered both needs. It's got the fast ingestion time and it's also got a recovery mechanism. Hey, and for anybody listening, when he tried to make the distinction between Kafka and Kafka streams, the difference is Kafka is your storage technology, your queues and the brokers and all that. Kafka streams is actually um, like an application that you can write on top of it that will allow you to stream data and process it in real time. They, they call it stream processing. So that's what Kafka streams is. Right. But it's yeah, Kafka that to- does all the partitioning and it's going to care about those keys. But in the example that you brought up, you were talking about an in-memory uh well, you said state store specifically, but let's just say like a an in-memory data store, right? Uh, and maybe it's behind the scenes using a s- sorted string table too. Uh, yeah. And even uh, we'll take it one more a level deeper. I just happen to know that Kafka streams. And by the way, a lot of times when I talk about Kafka, I totally conflate Kafka streams because that's like my main mechanism for working with it. And it's not the only one. And I, that's a bad habit. But I happen to know that Kafka streams utilizes RocksDB under the cover to keep track of its state stores. And so what we're actually seeing on disk is probably, I don't know, it's 100% for sure, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't. But I'm pretty sure I'm actually looking at the files for RocksDB, which specifically is a, uh, what you call it, the LSM tree table, which hey, hey, we're hey, going to talk you're about. you ahead here. You're jumping yeah. ahead. <laughs> but RocksDB is um, mentioned frequently in this chapter. So it's yep. kind of cool to kind of tie that all together and say, oh, okay, I can go here. I can look at these files. I know what that means. I understand a little bit more about rocks and everything. And so this is all starting to make a little bit of sense. More like Kafka rocks. Am I right? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're welcome. More like coding rocks. Am I right? <laughs> you got a double. Today's episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and analytics platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog's machine learning-based alerts, customizable dashboards, and 400-plus vendor-backed integrations make it easy to unify disparate data sources and pivot between correlated metrics and events for faster troubleshooting. By combining metrics, traces, and logs in one place, you can easily improve your application performance. Try Datadog free by starting a 14-day trial and receive a free t-shirt once you install the agent. Visit datadoghq.com slash coding blocks to see how you can unify your monitoring today. Again, that's datadoghq.com slash coding blocks. All right. So, hey, if you could leave us a review, that'd be really great. I think uh, it, I know, I know for a fact that it helps us a lot and it really means a lot to us. And uh, it's a lot of fun for us to read the reviews and it really helps us get the word out there. So if you could just take a minute and go to codingblocks.net slash review. We tried to make it easy for you. We've got some links there. And uh, yeah, just smash that uh, five star there. That'd be great. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well with that, how about should we do a joke first or do we want to do the survey first? There's always time for a joke. There's always time for a joke. I like that. Well, how about this one? This one, this one seems very irrelevant given, given, uh, you know, today's circumstances and, and the sad news that we had to give. So Arlene shared this, uh, tweet with me from, uh, Sam Garassi. I'm going to guess that's how I pronounce his name. 
And he says that the World Health Organization, also, you know, just WHO, you might see sometimes, you know, so you just pronounce it who, announced that dogs cannot get COVID-19. Dogs can be released from quarantine. I guess you could say that who let the dogs out. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Arlene, for sharing that with us. All right. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So back in episode 113. No, sorry. 123. 123. We asked, which data model do you prefer? Which is really fits such so well with our current topic. Uh, your choices were relational model. I love many to many joins. Sixth normal form, all the things. Or document model. I'll worry about the data structure when I read it. Or graph model. It just sounds cool. Oh, you're still using relational data models? That's cute. Or polyglot persistence. I'll use what I think makes sense for the use case. All right, Joe, how about you go first? What do you think the Uh, choice is? The the answer is polyglot persistence because I get them all mixed up anyway. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with uh, 28%. 28 percent math. All right, because <laughs> this time you studied math. It would have been better if you said something below twenty five, though, sir. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say there's there's more than two options. Uh, I still crack up about fun. that. I couldn't. I could not stop laughing while I was editing that last show. Every time I would get to that part. Oh man. Okay, so um, for me, I would hope that everybody said polyglot persistence, but I'm pretty sure that um, that is not going to be the answer. And I'm going to say that everybody's going to say the relational model because it's been around forever and that's what everybody knows and loves. And I'm going to go with 33% of the vote. All right, so we have Joe with polyglot persistence at 28%. Alan with relational model at 33%. Right? Yep. And the winner is. Yes. Oh, I win. Yeah, baby. Joe. No way, man. I don't see it in his face. I knew it. Where are these unicorns you speak of? I don't polyglot persistence for the win at over 45% of the vote. Yes. I think I, I think I love everybody just a little bit more today. Yep. It just <laughs> happens to be relational ninety percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I choose well, to think it's right. right for the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now relational was a strong second, no doubt about it, at thirty-seven percent. So you were both, you know, you you both had your answer, your percentage under what the actual was. So you both did well in that regard. So you know, kudos to you guys. Job Man, that makes me want to have a follow up, like like um, I don't know, a follow up survey in the future, something like, hey, for all you polyglot persistence people out there, you know, how do you split your your persistence? Is this relational? Is it, oh. you know, the document model, whatever? I mean, yeah, because. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I I run into so many people that are like, nope, DB all the things, Firebase, Firebase all the things. Yeah. 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 I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, I really want to know now. Leave a comment. Like let us know. Maybe we'll yeah. book. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Hey, that's what we should do. Yeah. Leave, leave a comment. Explain yourself. Yes. <laughs> and that'll, that'll put you in as a, an opportunity to win a copy of the book. So, And even if you don't want the book, leave the comment and yeah. tell us what you think. Because, I mean, whatever. Now, who You're probably going to want the book, though. I mean, hey, yeah. and let's not forget that I, I won this one. make sure how rude of me to uh minimalize that you're right we should have that man a ribbon we kind of drifted a little bit just wanted to bring it back on topic (laughs) you know what we should totally tweet that out uh joe won the survey yeah Uh, that's amazing all right all right well tweeting right now how about uh how about this then how about another joke Let's do it. So this one, this one comes from my youngest son. I have no idea where he got it, so I can't source it any f- more than that. But it made me chuckle. I hope it does make you chuckle as well. So, a priest, a minister, and a rabbit walk into a blood bank. The rabbit says, "I think I might be a type O." <laughs> I get it. I was waiting. I was like waiting for it. It's going to happen, and when it does, it's glorious. Joe, did you get it? No. Oh come on! Do I got to explain it to you? What did what did jokes usually start with? A priest, a minister, and a a rabbi. Rabbi. The rabbit must have been a type O. Typo. Oh my gosh, that's so bad. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I have such poor grammar that I just keep thinking like a type of what? <laughs> We're back to yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right. man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, the fact that it was also a blood bank too, like, you know. Yeah. It works yeah. so well. So It works that so well on so tricky. many levels. That was good. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So then for this survey's uh, for this episode's survey or for this survey's episode, whichever you prefer, really. Uh, we ask, do you leave your laptop plugged in the majority of the time? Right? So <clears throat> you could, you could take the cannibalist answer all the time. Pfft, I don't care about the battery <laughs> <laughs> or, or you could be responsible and say, no, I, I try to maintain my battery's life expectancy by neither fully charging it nor discharging it. Or no, but not because I care about it. <laughs> I know where outlaw falls in this. Yeah, it's literally called the outlaw. I think this, the second thing was named after him. <laughs> Option number two, like when you get your new Dell, it's not the Dell um, battery optimization. It's the outlaw optimization. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, these things, I mean, listen, we all love our laptops. <laughs> we all love our laptops. But let's be honest. There's been some, there've been some stories. There've been some photos shared they're they're like little uh you know little heat generators just waiting to catch on fire. But but hold on. Hold okay. on. Okay, I'm holding. 
let's let's be completely honest here um, outlaw you baby your computer batteries probably more than any person on the planet and you have also still experienced some of these swelling battery problems right like your your macbook pro turned into a rocking chair at some point so it's like I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to skew the survey too much, but it's like, man, if it's going to happen anyways, just freaking plug it in. (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) the fear is that it happens when you're not around. That's the fear. If you leave it plugged in all the time, you'll always notice when something changes. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't, okay, yeah, maybe that doesn't. Maybe that. I doesn't don't understand that. <laughs> well, we're gonna find out uh, who's right and who's wrong. I don't know. I might win twice in a row. We'll see. Yeah, we got some weird logic <laughs> going on time. here. Yeah, I think so you got a strong chance shot. there, Joe. A strong chance. Yeah. Sadly for you, though, uh, we won't be covering the results of that episode next episode. Oh, so, yeah, or that survey next tuned. episode. Right. Yeah, so you, you got a little bit of time, so you're going to have to work hard to get that two-win streak. <laughs> <laughs> no, I already have the answer for next one. You know what? It makes me want to go back and like score all of the surveys to see like which one of you statistically is you know has the has had the better percent win percentage. Oh my god, you know what that would entail though cuz you know we haven't kept track of any of this. You'd have to listen to 128 episodes. But you wouldn't oh, have I to listen to uh, all of it though, right? Like But you're going to have to scan to find it. It's not like we have this um, you know, SS tree. No, no, no. I still have the source. I still have the source, so I I could easily find the uh, you know, open up the project and I could find it. Not that I'm going to do any of this. <laughs> Just leave it. Leave a comment. Let us know who you think wins the most. Maybe that should be and a why it's survey. Me. Ooh, there you go. Oh, that'd be a good one. Oh, then, yeah. Then you're gonna have to prove it. Yeah. Uh. I didn't say I had to be right. This is just what the audience thinks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan's uh, already hedging. That's what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by About You. About You is one of the fastest growing e-commerce companies. In Europe, headquartered in Hamburg, Germany, the online fashion store is currently live in 10 European markets with more than 8 million app installs, 15 million active users on its platform, which handles more than 300 million API calls per day. In 2018, About You reached a company valuation of more than $1 billion US, moving up to the exclusive circle of European unicorns. This could only be achieved by the excellent work of About You's tech teams. One third of their employees are developers and come from over 40 different nations, which truly enriches the teamwork of the company. What they all have in common is that they are highly driven by the passion to develop the best product on the market. About You also has an award-winning organizational move model that allows developers to switch teams, ensuring constant learning and developer fulfillment. About You has built its software in-house with leading technologies like Laravel, Node.js, and TypeScript on the server side, and Vue.js and React on the client side, and even Flutter for mobile applications. Besides a variety of free drinks and fresh fruits, About You offers free language courses and helps new employees in the relocation process if they move from abroad. Moreover, developers get free tickets to About You's organized conference, Code.Talks, one of the biggest tech conferences in Europe. The conference that is taking place in Hamburg is visited by more than 1,500 developers. Furthermore, About You offers a well-structured onboarding process with a buddy system and provides access to e-learning tools such as LayerCast.com and Egghead.io. 
when starting at About You, you have the choice between different hardware setups as well, like MacBook or Windows Notebook and the kind of IDE that you want to work with. About You is growing fast and is constantly hunting for new and motivated team members. About You currently has positions available for full stack, front end, and Dart slash Flutter developers, a quality assurance engineer, or a project manager, as well as other exciting leadership positions. Does this sound good to you? Apply now at aboutyou.com slash job. They're looking forward to hearing from you. All right. So coming back from this, Joe had skipped ahead a little bit here. Oops. Um, but that it never lays, happens, it, by the way. All this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this stuff that we talked about now lays the groundwork for, for some things that are that kind of play big roles in a lot of technologies out there, especially nowadays, right? So um, he talked about RocksDB. And it's it's based on this whole SS tree thing and also um, what's called LSMs. And there's another technology out there called Level DB, and I think it was also they mentioned the the weird thing, uh, Rayek or something React, like yeah. that. Yeah, so it works with that. But here's the cool part: these are databases that are intended to be embedded. And other applications, right? So when Joe was talking about the Kafka Streams applications, they they have several things like these state stores that he mentioned, and also they have these things called global K tables that basically you can load up an entire table, and it's persisted to disk using RocksDB behind the scenes, and these are little internal databases to the application that the application can use. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and uh, what's not really nice about those is that uh, they're really fast at ingesting, and they're pretty fast for lookups. And so they're not really perfect for either one. You know, there's better use cases for both, uh, but uh, they work really well for both those use cases. And for Kafka, particularly in streaming environments, it's really great because you potentially have a whole lot of data flying in as fast as possible, and they're not really sure what you're trying to look up. So between those two capabilities, it's just a great compromise. Yeah, it's a good medium. And- I think. Maybe like with last episode, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with last episode and now with this episode, like we're finally getting into being able to apply some of the concepts from this book into like real world technology. So last episode we talked about Bitcast and uh, uh, what was it, React, and now yeah. now we're talking about uh, Level DB and RocksDB and. And now we, but but we can actually take it a step further because now we can like relate it to like, hey, here's this big. Uh, you know, behemoth of a technology that's, you know, w- very popular right now of Kafka, right? Or Kafka. Um, <laughs> that's backed by, by something here. So like we're, 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 you know, the point I'm trying to make is like, we're starting to get to the point where like, we can actually like make these concepts tangible, right? It's not, it's it, not theoretical. And that's, I think the cool part is, not only are we getting into this tangible part of this, but it's not super complicated, right? Like what we've talked about, we went through in two episodes and, and it's a faster read than we talk about it. But um, the funny part is, is when you, when you think about what we've done here is we're really just writing log files and just finding ways to efficiently merge these log files and now we're talking about technologies that are used in a lot of the hottest distributed um, data storage technologies on the planet right now. Yeah, I should mention that. You know, we said they were great for embedded use cases. Part of that is because they are so simple. We just talked about the insert and the the retrieve 
aspect of these <laughs> gate tables and the restore if it crashes. Like that's pretty much it. You could take that, that description right there and write your own database based on those rules and it's going to work pretty dang well. Yeah, it's impressive. Now, here's the cool part. So we've talked about this embedded stuff, but this is what's sort of mind blowing. We got, we've heard of Cassandra, right? Like I probably anybody that's worked with any amount of distributed data at scale, Cassandra comes up. Uh, this is the technology that sort of is the backbone of that, right? Like this particular method of writing these files. Another one that if you've ever worked with truly large data, you've probably heard of HBase, which is typically part of the Hadoop ecosystem. Um, that's another one that is using these same bones behind the scenes. And that's, that's kind of cool when you think about, we went through some pretty simple concepts and these are now backing some of the largest scale systems on the planet. Are you going to tell us where uh, this idea came from now? So somebody was wanting to, somebody was like tripping all over this earlier about to say it. Um, I don't know. Was that somebody, Joe? Was it me? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right, then. If nobody wants to take it. Oh, okay. Um, it was Alan. <laughs> Alan was trying to give it away. So here's what's kind of cool, right? Like the, when we were talking about this whole SS table and the mem table earlier, uh, Cassandra and HBase, they took design cues from Google's own white paper that they wrote on their big table technology. And in that white paper is when they actually introduced the terms SS table and mem table. So everybody's picked up on it, which is not surprising, right? Like um, I would venture to say that these white papers that get released are used all over the place. Um, I know DynamoDB was written from somebody in house over at, at AWS. And I'm sure that he looked at a bunch of other things and said, Hey, I want to take some ideas from here and some ideas from here. And, and let's, let's write our own storage engine. Right. So, um, so what's the moral the, of the story? Uh, read, some know, read some read, white read, papers. Read some white papers. papers. Combine them in novel ways and uh, then become famous like Google Big Table. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. It, I mean, it's it, there really is something to be said for that, though, because like even, um, you know, I mean, there have been some white papers. One comes to mind that was related from uh, a, a, a way that Amazon was applying machine learning in real time, Right in this uh you know kind of like a mini batching approach that that they were taking at the time it was an article that you know was pointed to us and we and you know me and a coworker read through and it was like oh that's really interesting but yeah it's like you know there really is value to trying to find those white papers and and read through them uh you know because you will find some like cutting edge kind of th- concepts and ideas like that and, you know maybe some are maybe not all are winners but you know, here's an example. Like if you're following like some of the big companies like a Google or an AWS. Yeah. That do things at scale. Facebook yeah. rocks. DB was created by Facebook to solve a problem that they had. Right. So, um, and Facebook seems to make a lot of killer technologies, by the way. Yeah. When did that happen? Well, I, I mean, don't know. You know when you got like 3 billion users, <laughs> right? you might have scaled to a scale that Alan is always trying to solve for. <laughs> uh, they, they haven't even hit my scale yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, trying. they'll get you into know, the billions eventually. The billions coming. Yes. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And, and so here's the thing, like we were just talking about these SS trees and these things that we now know that Google kind of came up with the terms or, or the person that wrote this white paper at Google did. Um, but here's the interesting thing. This stuff kind of existed beforehand, but under a different name called the LSM tree or the log structured merge tree, because everybody's going to remember that, um, you know, um, but it was basically the same type thing. This whole notion of storing compacted and sorted files. Yeah. And uh, got to mention some of our favorite uh, LSM storage engines. Uh, Lucene is probably the most popular nowadays, and that's the backing technology that's embedded and used in both Solar and Elasticsearch, which uses a very similar process. And that's kind of how they're able to maintain fast ingestion speeds, even though they're search engines, which do a lot of work and are typically known for being slow on ingestion. So that's kind of like their secret sauce for um, mitigating that and also um, yeah, just keeping up with that data and also making it searchable really great. Big fan. Yep. So uh, on to uh, optimizing. One of the problems of the LSM tree is that uh, searching for keys that don't exist can be expensive. Because remember, we talked about that thing where you search the mem table, then you search the last segment, and then you go back to the last segment, and you got to keep looking. So if something doesn't exist, by definition, you have to check the mem table in every single segment to see if it doesn't exist. And uh, that kind of stinks. And so um, one... Uh, Ooh, you know, I just saw a video about this. It's really great. Um, so one uh, technique that's uh, useful for uh, getting away from this problem is basically a bloom filter, which is an algorithm that's actually super cool if you look at how it works, but it's a, a probabilistic uh, algorithm that basically gives you the answer no or maybe. And so if you ask me if a key exists in a database, I can tell you for sure, no, it's not. Or I can say maybe, in which case you still have to look. And that's a great compromise for this particular data structure because this is the one where it really hurts when it doesn't exist. So if you can ask this uh, algorithm, hey, does this key exist? And it tells you for sure no, then you can save a ton of work. And it's, uh, in practice, this algorithm works really great. And uh, remember Guy Royce, a uh, guy with a huge beard, awesome, yeah. fantastic, oh, yeah. amazing talks, works for Redis. Uh, he just did a really great video on Bloom Filters and it, like released it like last night. So we'll oh, have that cool. in the, the show note. It's, and he did a really great job. Um, and he uh, compared it to a TARDIS being bigger on the inside. So um, there's a little hint about how that talk's going to go. Okay. You guys really know cool. what a TARDIS is, right? Yeah, from well, well, Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Never <laughs> oh, my gosh, Alan. Oh, my Dude, gosh. My, my no, other no, no. vehicle is a TARDIS. In fairness, I tried to watch that show. It was so awful that I could I couldn't get past like the first oh episode or two. Oh my gosh! It was oh so bad. Gosh. You just lost the UK audience. Great. I did, I did, and I'm sorry. I tried, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So anyway, uh, you know, I get very excited about uh, these probabilistic type things. Like I got really excited when we talked about um, uh, heaps. <laughs> because they're mostly sorted. I thought that was really cool. And I also think Bloom Filters is just a really cool algorithm. So uh, it's really cool. Maybe Bloom Filter will have to be an al- algorithm that we specifically cover because yeah. we dug into that one specifically. Yeah, it's neat. And it seems so weird to say that the answer could be maybe. Maybe. That's <laughs> such a beautiful answer. It's definitely, it? yeah. There, <laughs> yep. It's definitely no or I don't know. Me. Yep. <laughs> it might be. Me. <laughs> Whatever. It's so, like the um, teenager answer. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. 
Yeah, so one challenge is that uh, you know that we just mentioned that search for your key doesn't doesn't exist is expensive, so we use Bloom filters. And the second challenge, uh, or the second way we optimize, is basically determining when and how to perform the the merge and compaction operations. And so uh, there's two main strategies for that. There's leveled compaction, in which key ranges are split into smaller tables and older uh, data is moved to different levels. I'm guessing level DB is this one. I don't know that for sure though. It does. Level DB okay, and awesome. Rocks DB both use this. Yep. Okay, level compaction. So they uh, basically split into smaller SS tables and then the old uh, data is moved down to harder levels. So kind of like, I imagine it's like a diamond being compressed into the... <laughs> anyway. Uh, the other one is size tiered compaction, which HSpace uses, in which uh, smaller and newer SS tables are merged into larger and older SS tables. Um, so yep. that works out pretty well for those guys, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing, right? Like we've covered a lot of the generalities of, of what's going on here. And, and they even pointed out in the book, like, Hey, you know, we hit on, on the meat of, of what's going on behind the scenes. There's probably tons of technical little things that they're having to do, right? Like who knows synchronous file access. Like there's probably all kinds of things. It's that stuff that you run into that you spend five days on that felt like it was going to take five minutes. I'm sure there's all kinds of details like that in, in this, but now you have a gist of what makes up some pretty massive databases, right? Like at least the, the, uh, the underpinnings of a lot of that stuff. I'll tell you, I am constantly getting my rocks to be stuck, uh, locked. <laughs> and I just delete oh. the directory. I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like for a while there, we had code that would delete the directory just on startup because we were so tired of dealing with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not the right answer, by the way. That's not. No, no, it totally is. I, I don't, I don't even know why <laughs> you would imply that. It's not. <laughs> uh, I don't care like how big or, or what the purpose of the database is. Anytime the answer is uh, just delete the database and start over. I don't think you can claim that's the correct path to go. Uh, Pre-2015. You could have made that argument. Now with Docker, it's just so much easier to do that. It really was. Yeah. I'm trying to think. It seems like there might have been something else in here. I mean, we're not going into the bee trees in this particular episode because, as you saw, we were just going through kind of the the the, the alternate to that. Um, and we've covered bee trees. Not in depth, though. I mean, we not talked in depth. This yeah. kind of category. We talked about like file system kind of uh, examples, but but I, you know what I do I do want to gush about this book just a little bit more because the amount of information that they have dropped in these chapters is just crazy. I I mean honestly I've learned more from this particular book in terms of the things that I just always kind of took for granted in my in my everyday tool usage. That is just mind boggling, right? Like bloom filters. I would have never even known those things existed had I not, you know, gone to some talk or, or like, like you said, Guy Royce has this thing. But like coming across that here, I mean, I didn't even know it existed. No or maybe like that's not even a thing in computer talk, right? Usually <laughs> yeah. it's yes or no. It's not no or uh, maybe. I don't right. know. <laughs> Write that as an if else statement. <laughs> <laughs> if else, I don't know. <laughs> So, yeah, man, I mean, seriously, like, uh, Joe actually was the one who recommended this book months ago, and and we were all kind of like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. 
And then we pick it up, and, and, and at least me, I was like, man, this reads like a novel, right? Like, I could, I could keep going in this thing because it, it's written in such a way that it's understandable, but you get so much out of it at the same time, right? Like, it's it doesn't skimp on the details, but it doesn't bury you in them either. So. Yeah, at the end, it makes you definitely want to create your own database. You're like, all right, I care about, you know, I want this kind of ingestion. I want this kind of search. Um, compaction, you know, error recovery, like whatever. It's like you could kind of take these rules and build it up and like go with it in memory database or build your own Cassandra. Or if you want to create your own rocks DB, like it really looks at the underlying differences between those and the algorithms that power those. It's just, I think it's super cool. Okay. Now, as much as I'm enjoying this book, this is not inspiring me to want to go write my own database. We're still reading. <laughs> yeah, that's so, why you haven't got far enough oh okay what <laughs> chapter is that chapter four <laughs> write your own database oh i see yeah. it now i feel like you need to um embrace your inner vlad <laughs> yeah right i write database yes no i, bu- I build web server oh, I, I mean uh, i i think i think for me it's just like having an appreciation for how they work though and you know, the, the deeper we, we go into this and the more we continue along, even just in general with the podcast, like not even, let's not even in the context of the book though, like we keep covering topics, uh, you know, in the podcast that are subjects that it's like, well, I haven't even thought about that since I was in school, you know, or, right. or, or maybe you didn't even think about it when you're in school. Right. But, but, you know, we keep like, I guess it's kind of like, you know, honing the craft, you know, like you keep, you keep, uh, I think, you know, an analogy that, that Joe had used once time before was like, you know, sharpening the saw. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I've appreciated about it. And so like, even, you know, as it relates specifically to this book though, even though like it, we, it does talk about bee trees again, for example. And yes, we did go, you know, and, and have a whole conversation on trees and bee trees are part of it, but it's like, Oh, you're like further, con- you know, concreting that I that concept and that idea, and like, hey, here's a specific use of how you could, you know, talk about this thing. Yep, it's so. pretty amazing. Oh, by the way, as soon as I were talking about the podcast, we did get reached out to um, one of the listeners. I'm not going to give his whole name because I don't know if he if he wants that out there. But Brett wrote and said that he landed his 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 first job, um, and you know, he thought that listening to this podcast was a big part of that. And that's so amazing to us. I mean, like, seriously, it, it's really cool because we get to learn and we get to share that. And along the way, if it's helping other people out, like that's so amazing. So, you know, we talk about those reviews and stuff, but I mean, it, it's, man, it, it really is some huge payback when somebody reaches out to us out of the blue and is like, Hey man, like you, you totally changed my life or you, you did this and it's just, it's really awesome. So yeah, there was another uh, story that we got similar to that too, uh, from Joshua that is similar kind of story. And it was like, yeah, it, it, it really, it's crazy to think that like, here was this, this idea that started out like, you know, I don't know, six, seven years ago now. Right. And yet we're still going on with it. And then people are crazy enough to listen to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, you know, and it's like, it's the fact that it's like even helping people. Cause you know, I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. And it's like, it, it's, uh, it's so flattering. Cause it's like, wow, I, I you know, yeah, you, you, you can't, you can't put words to it. Cause you're like, well, I, I didn't think that I was possible of like helping anybody like that. Yeah. It's rewarding in a way that is, 
just i don't know it's really cool so seriously like thank you like this was completely not even planned but you know thank you like everybody that does leave the feedback and stuff it actually really does mean a lot and really and it's part of the reason why we still do it right like we study this stuff it it, part of it's because we're gluttons for punishment that's a lot (laughs) of it yeah yeah, and then, and then, you know, we do like to learn, but it's also really fun to share and interact with people and get that feedback and, and go and meet people. And it does sadden us that things like Orlando Code Camp are, are closed right now because, I mean, it, it, we have a blast doing that kind of stuff. You know how many people I met at the last one? Yeah, I met yeah, all yeah. of Orlando. Everybody. Yeah, you met everybody. <laughs> Outlaw truly met everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, you know, if you're uh, working remote and you are not digging the isolation, then uh, pop on into the Slack, too. Codingbox.net slash Slack. Hang out. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to spend a lot more time in, in Slack than now because of the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by the University of California Irvine Division of Continuing Education. Python is one of the fastest growing programming languages and UCI's Python programming certificate program will prepare students for opportunities in web development, data analytics, core software development, and a wide range of scientific and mathematical applications. Students will learn programming concepts including program styles, idioms, libraries, data structures, data retrieval, processing, visualization, networked application program interfaces, and databases. UCI's Certificates in Data Science, Predictive Analytics, Machine Learning will prepare students to gain the necessary skills to land a job in data science. Additionally, those interested in predictive analytics and machine learning will learn to improve and optimize business performance. If you're looking to become competitive in the global market, advance your career, or start a new one, UCI has the resources to support you on your new path. Spring registration is now open. Visit ce.uci.edu slash coding blocks. Again, that's ce.uci.edu slash coding blocks to learn more and reserve your seat. Again, that's ce.uci.edu slash coding blocks and reserve your seat today. And with that, we will have some resources that we like. Uh, You know, obviously this book is going to be one of those resources uh there's gonna be plenty of links in here i'll have links to episode 97 uh there's the video that the youtube video about red black trees that joe mentioned there's uh some links that alan mentioned so all of that's going to be in there um so with that let's head into alan's favorite portion of the show it's the tip of the week me first this is Ford's the best part of joe's the tip of the week yep and uh joe's tip of the week this week comes from joe recurs and joe joe ridley so thanks for sending this joe ridley did you know you can drag and drop a folder from the finder into the terminal on uh, osx and it will dump that whole path out for you so you don't have to type it how awesome did not know that did you know that also works on commander i did not know that yeah and powershell and command prompt Uh, everywhere i tried it this worked and this has probably been available for the last 40 years and i never (laughs) knew it i remember there used to be like um what were those the 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 tool the power tools like mark uh yeah windows power tools like Uh yeah that he created and there was like a 
an option for you could right click on a folder and say open command prompt here. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, they still have that. It's not it's even so part of awesome. PowerTools. It's part of Windows now. Oh, yeah, is it nice. now part of Windows? Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, here just for kicks, I don't know if Never you have to right click and hold down shift. Um, there's a. It might even be Alt, but there's Command Prompt here or something like that. Uh, maybe yeah. it's. Is it Alt? Get Bash here. That's all I need. Ah uh, man, I can't find it, but I have too many things in my context. But anyways, yes, it's actually they stole it from from Power Tools, and and I don't remember what it is now. So excellent. So. It's so apropos that it was Joe Recursion Joe because it's our Joe Recursion that Joe giving a tip. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Oh, I have another tip too because you guys always have lots of lots of tips. Uh oh. So uh, you mentioned uh, today the big table, um, big table paper. By the way, I don't appreciate that the T is not capitalized in big table. It's one word. I agree. T is not capitalized. Big table. No. It, sh- it <laughs> should be big table. I big agree. Table. It should be prominent. Why would they do that? I think we should write it. We should do a pull request. Yeah, I'm going to fix that crap everywhere. Well, that's okay, because uh, mem table is all lowercase. That's, that's fine. I'm, that's fine. Yeah, that's Wait, fine. how come that one's fine? I don't know. Big just implies you go big or go home, so it should be big. Big table, table. looks awful. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. It's okay, this is, this is crazy talk now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we mentioned uh, the big, ta- big table uh, paper and the Dynamo paper tonight. Did you know there's a collection of papers called Papers We Love, and it's run by a group that basically collects like the best papers in like computer science, and it arranges them. And they even have meetups around uh, the world where they get together and discuss like a, a paper every month or whatever. And uh, if you go, uh, I've got a link here to their GitHub, which actually just collects all the papers, and you can find all these papers, and they're even sorted by category. So if you want to find the two papers we referenced tonight, they're in the data store category, and you can find both of them right in there. Oh my God, you could lose half your life on this site. Yeah, yeah, hey. they're really good, and they're so long and they're dense. Yeah. Oh my God. Sometimes white papers can get a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, just. We should play a game where you just like spin a little dial and you like it picks two and then like you try to make a business out of it and like maybe it works. I don't know. Yeah, the, there are meetup groups for paper we love, papers we love, and uh, I thought there was a conference for it too, wasn't there? Or am I? Th- it probably used to be thinking of something else. Oh yeah, pre coronavirus. Back when we used to be able to get out of the house, I think there was right. a uh, a conference. Um. Now They've got them here in Atlanta. Do they have them down in Orlando? Nope. They don't care about you in Orlando. Nope. Yeah. So sad. Sorry. Yeah. 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 P uh, pwlconf.org. So yeah, I don't know if they're planning on a 2021, but it wouldn't be until the fall if they were going to just judging by past uh, timeframes. Yeah. I'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, that seems like a fun one to go to. <laughs> You'll need lots of coffee. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, so for my tip of the week, <clears throat> so I, oh man, I was like, how has, how has this never like entered my life before. How, how, how did I even never bother to check to see if this was a thing? But in Slack, uh, Sid shared with us this Git tip 
And rightfully so, he uh, tagged me on it. He was like, hey, you might like this as a tip of the week. And I'm like, I love that. It's a tip of the week. <laughs> so have you ever found yourself in in the mode where you want to, let's say you have a branch checked out. Obviously, this is going to be a get tip. I don't know what you were thinking if you thought otherwise, but <clears throat> you have a branch checked out. You're doing some work or whatever. And somebody's like, hey, man, uh, can you pivot on that and like fix this other thing? So like now you find yourself in a need for, uh, you know, to change gears, right? And so you're like, okay, hold on. You know, maybe you're like Joe and you're just like going to commit everything regardless of what working state <laughs> it's in. Or maybe you'll be like, you know what? I'll be a good person and I'll just stash the changes for now. And then I'll, you know, check out another branch or whatever, right? So you, we've all been there, right? Or what you might even be tempted to do is to say, you know what? I'm going to create a clone, uh, a second clone of it, and then I'll just work out of that, right? And like you might even have like a web browser pointing to both locations, you know, so that you can test different things, right? We've been there. We've all done that, right? Well, with Git Worktree, you don't have to do that second clone. So the way it works, what will happen is with Worktree, and I try this out, it's so beautiful, is let's say you have a repo cloned, right? With Worktree, using that that repo that you already have cloned, you can copy all of the code into another uh, directory, right, That, that is following a separate branch, so oh, that's amazing. So you're already using the code that you have already cloned locally to then spawn this other branch off into another folder, right? Or directory. So, and you're not recopying the dot git directory, right? So all of the history is still maintained there, but you can have this other working tree available that you can work in. Right. And That's it's beautiful. And I, and I checked it out. So like on our repo that we mostly work in, you know, we work in a, I mean, I, it's, it's definitely not the largest repo on the planet, but you know, it, it's of a decent size. I would say if you do a get work tree command on it to like check out some other branch in another directory, that directory is 10% in our case, it was 10% the size of a, my main repo directory. Mm. Wow. So yeah, it was a significant fun. savings in terms of like how fast I could like spawn this other thing up and I'm not wasting space on my, on my drive by having a duplicate repository around. So here's the way this would work. You could, let's say that you wanted to, you wanted to, uh, check out a, a, a new branch called like my hotfix, right? And you wanted to put this in your temp directory, right? Like that's where you wanted to start it. So you would get space work tray, nah, work tree, space add minus B, and then space my hotfix. And that's that part is going to the, the dash B my hotfix is going to create the branch uh for for you called uh my hotfix. Then uh, slash temp because that's you're telling it where to put it 
space master because you're trying to track master in that example. So again, that command would be git space work tree space add space minus b my hotfix space slash temp space master. So let me let me here. I'll tell you what, so that you guys can like follow along to see it a little bit better here. Git work tree add minus b my hotfix if I could spell that correctly. Uh, slash temp master. So there's an example of what that command would look like. Right. And, and it, it, like I said, you're doing a couple of things in that command all in once, right? So you're tracking master. Uh, well, you're, you're creating a branch called my hotfix. You're copying the repo into slash temp, or at least, you know, n- not, not the dot git directory though. And then tracking master. So awesome. So that is awesome. really cool. Didn't know it yeah. existed. Yeah, and, yeah and, a ton of space. And and there were like a there were seeing me another tips now that I've forgotten that he uh added on to it. Um but but the point is if you're not already on our Slack, you gotta be on our Slack because amazing people like Sid are sharing nuggets of knowledge that you just gotta know, right? Like <laughs> as soon as I found as soon as he said this, I was like, Oh, that's so beautiful. I will never forget that one ever again. Like this is, this is forever going to change my life. So thank you, Sid, for sharing that with us. And, uh, and then one other, one other quick, um, you know, tip here. Um, you guys watched Silicon Valley. Did you like Silicon Valley? Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. do you feel like a little bit of a void in your life now that it's, that there's no I haven't more finished. episodes. My wife won't let me watch it while she's in the room because it makes her uncomfortable because dude's always jacking up, right? So I have I've got like two or three episodes <laughs> That's left. That's a weird way to describe it. Since there was one weird, awkward episode. Alan, <laughs> that's a that's a strange way to describe it, Alan. I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna leave it there. Okay. But this guy is just a constant failure. I'll put yeah. it like that. And my wife cannot take it. She cannot stand it that he just, no matter what he does, goes wrong. Well, right? well, let's just say that like as, as people that are in technology, right? I, I think we could all appreciate the humor of that show. And, and now that it is, you know, they have finished it, even though you haven't caught up to it. Uh, it, you know, you are in the last season, you know, there's a little bit of a void there, but there's this new show called mythic quest which which aims to fill that void and if you haven't already seen it it's it's really good you got to give it a try it's what's it on okay so this is where this is where it's gonna get you it's an apple tv plus show right but i mean you you can get apple tv a year of apple tv for free you might already have it if you've bought if you've purchased a recent device in like the last six 12 months, you probably already get Apple TV for free and you didn't even realize it. So that's the downside is it is on Apple TV plus, but it's really funny, except instead of the perspective of a technology company that is creating middle out compression to rule the internet, the, the premise is a technology company that creates games. So mythic quest is the name of their game. Okay, I will so, check it out. I have Apple Plus. It's, it's, I've never watched a single show on it. it it's, I will. There's so many great things about it. I'm just saying. Right. You're gonna like. Excellent. It. You're gonna like it. Coming into my queue. All right. So I have a handful of tips here. Um, the first one is going to be from one of our good friends on Slack, Sean Martz. Sean. Um, 
I just basically take anything he gives me and and I republish it because he's always given just golden stuff, right? Uh, this one is really good. Uh, it's called exorcism.io. That's E-X-E-R-C-I-S-M.io. And like he told me about this at first, the name's cool. But secondly, th- this is the, the heading on their page. Exorcism, code practice and mentorship for everyone. Level up your programming skills with 3,325 exercises across 50 languages and insightful discussion with our dedicated team of welcoming mentors. Exorcism is 100% free forever. So, like, if you want to go practice and get some experience with some coding languages or some technologies, like, they've got 50 of them, um... You know, I see PLSQL here. I see MIPS. I don't even know what some of these things are. Um, I see Swift, PHP, um, TypeScript. Kotlin. So, uh, Kotlin. So they have Cold Fusion. Why is that on there? Um, <laughs> so, so, so seriously, like there are tools like this that exist that you can just go get your hands dirty with something and, and learn some stuff. So, and, and I forget what he told me he was learning over there at this point. Cause he's kind of like all of us. He's just bounces around all over the place, checking stuff out. But yeah, man, go check this out. Really cool stuff. Um, then go ahead. Nope. So my next up, is going to be a tool that I actually came across at some point. And then ironically enough, Joe Zach has also done some work with this thing and it's called Elasticsearch dump. So I had a need to move a bunch of data from a newer version of Elasticsearch to an older version of Elasticsearch. Now it'd be great if you could use the reindex method in Elasticsearch to do that, but that only works on the same versions or maybe going from an older version to a newer version. So that kind of killed me. Well, I have a link to this. It's, um, it's on GitHub and it's a, it's an, in a node application that will basically allow you, you can either install node and install this thing if you want to do it, or much like Outlaw, I try and find every way in the world to use Docker to where I don't have to install anything. And I run this thing in a Docker, in a Docker, um, container so that that entire application is running behind the scenes. All I have to do is map a drive into it and I can dump all the data from Elasticsearch into a file that'll show up on my hard drive, right? And then if I need to then re-index in that into Elasticsearch, I can run that same Docker container and change it from from outputs to inputs. And and life is dandy. Like it's absolutely amazing. So if you ever have a need to move a bunch of data or export a bunch of data from Elasticsearch into a, a, a JSON format or something like that, this tool is absolutely fantastic. So I thought exorcism sounded familiar. And sure enough, we have talked about that this will be the third time this resource has made its way onto the air. How do I forget this stuff? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I mean, are you using a bee tree? Are you, uh, what do you, what kind of memory <laughs> mapper you have going on? There? Right, what kind uh, of indexing? Uh, no. Mine's lossy. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. a compression format. Well, so I, I use yeah. a, I use a write ahead log. So I always make sure that I write to the disk first. Okay. But, I definitely yeah. have probabilistic memory for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you're using a bloom filter for sure. 
<laughs> maybe. <laughs> yep. So you're no but or maybe. I, I, I will include I will include some links uh, to the past shows where we have discussed it too, in case if uh, you're curious. But we have talked about exorcism back in episode 26 and episode 78. Okay, that's why I don't remember it. We're talking years ago now. So basically, Sean got these from those shows and spit them back at me. <laughs> yeah, a- episode 26 goes back to April of 2015. So almost, Lord, almost five years ago is when that site made its debut into you know our conversations, right? And then again wow. in April, uh, three years later in April 2018. So I actually used it a little bit back then, but it's it looks way way better now. Uh, it does look really cool. I'm not taking that away from it. It's like Hotline now. <laughs> Everything must be good. So this last tip is not really a full blown tip. This is more along the lines of of well, I guess it is. And so piggybacking on this whole this Docker thing. So I've been doing work with Kubernetes of late, and I also have things that stand up in Docker Composes, right? So Docker Compose, if if you've never messed with it, I'm not going to go deep into it, but it allows you to stand up multiple containers or services at the same time, right? And it's beautiful because you can kind of sort of spin up a server farm for, for all intents and purposes. When you do that, it creates its own network. So like... um you know, Jozak, myself, and Outlaw, we all work in, in a stack that has Kafka, Elasticsearch, Postgres, and some other stuff, right? So when you spin these things up, you typically name them that way, right? Like, hey, this particular host, we're going to call that Elasticsearch because it's easy to remember. Well, that's all fine and dandy because all the containers that are on that network can talk to each other with those host names. So if if my Postgres database needs to talk to Elasticsearch, it can just say, hey, Elasticsearch dot whatever, right? Like, let's connect that way. Um, well, I've started messing with Kubernetes and I'm spinning that up because I want to be able to scale things out and see how things work on that side of things. That's not something Docker Compose necessarily gives you. Well, one of the things that's a little bit frustrating is when you start up pods in other places or even if you're doing Docker runs or something like that, there's this it's not on the same network because essentially it spins up a virtual switch or a virtual network for you behind the scenes in Docker compose. Right. Well, what I wanted to point out is if you have a need to spin up another container to try something out and you want it to have access to your elastic search thing without having to poke a bunch of ports and holes and stuff through when you do Docker run, you can say dash dash network and pass in the name of the network that all your Docker Compose containers are attached to. And then you can reference everything in there just by their host names, right? And you don't have to open up new ports because when that Docker container gets run, it's actually being put onto that same virtual network with it. Um, And it allows you to interact with things just like it was spun up there in the first place. That's pretty slick. So, so if, for example, if you let's, let's say you already had Docker Compose going and you already had, you mentioned like uh, Kafka and Elastic and Postgres. So let's say you already have those three, right? So maybe you already have um, your Postgres is, is uh, you know, being fed data from Kafka, for example. Kafka is also maybe feeding your Elastic, but maybe you wanted some reason. You had some need to maybe spin up a web server that wasn't already part of that Compose, mm-hmm. right? So you wanted to like a Docker run, Nginx or something, but you want it to be able to connect to that 
you're just maybe experimenting. So you wanted to be able to connect to that Postgres database or that elastic instance that you already have going, you Docker run dash dash network with whatever the name of the network was, and it'll be able to connect to it. That's That's pretty slick. I've never tried that. Yeah. And actually going back in memory. Now, the reason why I added it here is that's what I did with the elastic search dump. So when I first pulled the dump, I was pulling from, you know, a public, not really public, but something that, that I had access to that was external. But then I wanted to feed that data into my internal elastic search. And I didn't want to have to poke a bunch of ports and holes and stuff in the Docker Compose to make that work. So I just said, Hey, I'm going to run this elastic search dump thing. I'm going to attach it to my local Docker Compose network. And then I can just say, hey, pump it into HTTP colon slash slash elastic search colon 9200 and life was dandy. Right. So, yeah, because um, yeah, the alternative would have been to like create a new to add it to your Docker Compose, too, which would also be like, eh. I mean, if it's a one off the whole thing, thing right? Yeah, you don't necessarily, it's like you said, if it's a one-off thing or you're experimenting, you don't necessarily want to add it to your Compose because it's not part of your regular stack. So, um, But it is nice to know that if you ever need to connect something to it, you can pass in the network. So. Yeah. No, as Alan would say, that's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. <Yeah. laughs> that's going back a few episodes, too. Yeah. yeah. One of us makes the better Alan, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, so that's it for this episode. We talked about SS tables, LSM trees. Hopefully, I didn't uh, confuse anyone too bad um, when I got mixed up there. And if I did, just let me know uh, at uh, you know Alan at codingblocks.net and uh, <laughs> apologize for that big time. Yeah, all right, all right. well, with that, uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, more using your favorite podcast app, just in case you know. Uh, I don't know how you happen to hear it, but maybe a friend pointed you to the website or you like, uh, you know, your friend loaned you a device to listen to it. But, you know, you can find us at codingbox.net. Uh, there will be links all at the top of the page for all your favorite podcast destinations. Uh, and if you don't find the link there, if there's another podcast destination you have, let us know. Uh, we can add them. You can find us on just any of them. And if you haven't already left us a review, uh, as Joe mentioned earlier and Alan mentioned as well, like we do greatly appreciate those uh, reviews. They really mean a lot to us. So, uh, you can find some helpful links there at www, or I guess I should probably say like, uh, dub, <laughs> slash review. And I will yep. wait for my lawyers to <laughs> tell me when I have to cease and desist. See- Cease and desist incoming. Yeah. So while you're up there at CodyBlocks.net and while he's waiting on that letter, uh, <laughs> go ahead and check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and screenies to the Slack. <laughs> to CodyBlocks.net no! slash Slack. No! <laughs> screenies! <laughs> I win! <laughs> You'll see my tweet, by the way. Uh, you can see that my my victory tweet uh, at, over on Twitter at CodingBlocks, or head over to CodingBlocks.net, and uh, you can find all our special social links there at the top of the page. Uh, I gotta go there now. <laughs> 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 <laughs>